Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 102. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace, Ring, and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And Federico, welcome to the show. Hello, Mike. How can we verify that it's really you? You just go to my Twitter profile and you... See a little blue check mark. <laughs> wow. Oh, you went there. You really went there. Okay. You started it. Like, what were you expecting me to say? I was thinking of something funny, like uh-huh. say something in you know with the British accent. Yep. But you really had to had to go there and, mm-hmm. and remind me of the Twitter verification. Okay, cool. I'm sorry. Can I talk to you? Are you verified? Am I am I allowed to? Should I should I call your assistant first? You have to confirm <laughs> with at verified first. Mm, okay. okay. So I am the only one of the three of us that that had the Twitter verification, right? Uh, you, yep. you are the VIP, very important podcaster. Yeah, oh, so. doesn't really make any sense, does it? Like, why was it me? Like, I, I don't know why. Uh, I, I dropped my Wikipedia page in the. That's what it was. In the thing, it's had, it has to be what it yeah. was. That's that's what I think. It's kind of kind of nabbed it for me was that I have a Wikipedia page because it's like an external verification. The next time I apply, I'm going to say, "Send me your Square Cash tag, and I will just pay you for a check mark <laughs> and see how that see if bribing works next time." <laughs> It's like, well, you should take your wife out to dinner. <laughs> like, it would be on me. It'd be a shame if something happened to your San Francisco apartment. Mm. <laughs> wow. All right, we're going to do follow-up, because there's a lot of follow-up, and there's a lot of topics this week. Follow-up. Up first, follow-up. Up first, we're going to <laughs> revisit the uh, conversation about how Apple may be or may not be training its photo algorithm to know what is a horse and what is a mountain and what is a bearded British verified person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people emailed slash tweeted slash faxed us asking why Apple's uh, web crawler project uh, couldn't be used to find images. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think I understand where this question is going, but it, that's not what Apple's web crawler is really for. Yeah, maybe we didn't do a good enough job of like explaining what we believed to be the issue yeah. here, and it wasn't where the photos necessarily came from, and we did spend a lot of time talking about that, but the key part is how these images get any kind of knowledge based on them. Like, the raw images are great, but you need to know what they are and, and where does that data come from. And I mean, even if you even if you crawl the page and you... And you uh... And you look at the alt or title, you know, the, the, the metadata for in the HTML. So you can insert an image and say, with the uh, alt attribute, say, this is a picture of a tree. So Applebot can go out there and crawl images, crawl videos, crawl anything. And you can even read from the description of those images, this is a tree or this is, you know, uh, a fish. But what we were saying last week is, you can crawl anything you want, but without a system to determine what's relevant and what is not, uh, which is what Google is doing, then it it sort of begs the question, so how is Apple saying, okay, this is an accurate picture of a tree? Because if I have a website, I can put up a picture of Mike and say, this is a picture of a forest. And Applebot goes out there, <laughs> finds the picture of Mike, but in the alt attribute it says, this is a forest. So when, you know, if that's the only system that you have in place, uh, well, then... Later, when you when you perform a query on the algorithm, it says, "Okay, this is uh, you're searching for a forest. Here you go with this British person." Uh, so you need a system where there's okay, you you're crawling stuff from the web. Sure, that's cool, but then you need to actually make sure that the stuff that you crawled is accurate. 
And that's what Google is doing with Google Images. They're crawling web pages, and then over time, if users click on those pictures, they know which ones are accurate because they know what people are searching for and they know what people right. are clicking on. Yep. Same right. with the captures. Uh, the reason why they ask you, can you tell us what's a cons uh, cons construction machine? Uh, over time, they're going to use data from those captures to say, okay, these photos, they are machines. These other photos, they're forests. So, you know, we can improve our, our system with uh, manual user intervention. And Applebot by itself cannot do that. No. And Apple may have some kind of system in place, but we just don't know what it is, right? So when we were discussing this, it was conceivably to us, Google has a system which is in place, has been in place for a long time with Google Images and will continue to be in place. And didn't they just release or like re-release that image matching game? Yes. Yeah. Again? Just uh, last week. You, it doesn't really work on, on the iPhone. I think I tried from Safari, but it doesn't work. But yes, you can uh, you can contribute to the... Uh, what's the name of the of the Google? Uh, it's not called PageRank. Uh, and maybe it's not DeepMind. Anyway, you can contribute to the to the photo recognition engine by uh, matching pictures with what uh, Google is asking you. Like, uh, what it's a what is a tree? And then you you click on the picture of a tree. It's fun, and it's a <laughs> I mean it's a fun way to help Google. Uh, but sure, you, you see, you need something like this. Uh, and we don't know because Apple is not a public search company. We don't know where or how is happening, and we'll have to judge the final product in iOS 10. Uh, which fun fact, in beta fun with huge air quotes, but uh, in beta four they reset all of the data for uh, people, not for scene. So they're calling search scene search because it looks at scenes in your photos, such as horses and mountains. Uh, but the reset data for people, uh, I want to see if it gets better. Uh, and sure, you know, um, matching people and matching scenes are two separate parts of photos. But it looks like things are still changing. That's the point. And my iPhone and my iPad had to redo the entire indexing of my photo library last night, uh, which took a couple of hours. So we'll see if it gets better, I guess. So in the thread of iOS 10 related follow-up, we also had some comments about iMessage Preview, which we spoke about I think, a couple weeks ago and again last week maybe. Um, and we talked about Open Graph and you know the concern that if Apple's what Apple has to scrape to build those previews. And James, along with a lot of other people, pointed out that Apple doesn't actually need to scrape a whole web page. They just pull the HTML, which is obviously much smaller than all the CSS and all the images and all the JavaScript, and then grab whatever image Open Graph points to. It's a much smaller payload to uh, render the preview in iMessage. And then when you force touch or when you tap on the link, you then get, of course, the full web page in Safari or in the in-app browser. I think that's a good point. I think that's where we were trying to get. Um, but I think we got a little off track in that conversation. I've noticed, though, on iOS 10, at least on the public beta, it, it seems that those previews aren't always automatic. Like, I feel like I, sometimes I get a click, you know, or like tap to preview. Um, Federico, have you seen that? Is there, are they changing the way that works? Or am I just noticing something that's been there for a while? So up until beta 3, it was all kinds of inconsistent, uh, where I thought... And I, and I think I, I said this on the show, that you only needed to confirm once, and then from that point on, all of the web page previews would load by default. But then in beta 3, I found myself tapping, you know, to, tap to load uh, every time, but inconsistently across different threads. 
it seems like so I just sent uh, with beta four a link to to a friend and it expanded by default. I didn't have to tap anything on my end. I don't yep. know what happened on his end. Uh, so I guess again, this is one of those things that is still changing, probably because Apple is collecting feedback from people and they're still figuring out what's best. I do hope that it's you know the the, the kind of feature where you make it work once. It's set, and you don't have to think about it anymore. But I, I'm just concerned that some people will get upset, you know, because it consumes X kilobytes for, uh, you know, each preview image. And then over time, people are going to say, hey, what's this data usage? I don't know. I'm not sure. I noticed that it seems to be inconsistent. So maybe they're playing with it and taking feedback from people. We're now going to move on to 123 Note-Taker, which, of course, is the f- the sweet of productivity applications that Mike is building yep. for iOS. So it turns out that the 123 brand has made an appearance a long, long time ago. Uh, Sean wrote in to point out that on episode 56 of Bionic, so this is more examples of people listening back to the back catalog, on August 23rd, 2013, during an ad for Squarespace, I mentioned 123blogmaker.com. Wow. <laughs> So that was the ancestor of one to three not taker. Yeah, it's the since retired uh, blog making system because it was crap and Squarespace was awesome. So started as a web service, mm-hmm. uh, the one to three branding, and then you you move from web development to native app development, which yep. makes sense. Wise uh, wise career choice. Something I find really interesting about this, not only has Sean decided to go back to listen to the old catalog, he's also listening to the old ads as well, which I think is amazing. Uh, like he didn't skip the ads. It's like three years old and he's still listening to him. So much respect to you, Sean. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes to the episode and also to the Overcast timestamp link that Sean provided, which will jump you straight to that moment. But if you're listening somewhere else, it's around 19 minutes and 40 seconds is when I mention 123 Blogmaker. It's also interesting to listen to that because just of how weird I sound. Like I sound so different. My To me anyway, I can hear a much thicker London accent than what I have now, uh, mm-hmm. which is now my weirdo transatlantic accent. Yeah, you've definitely shifted west in the way that you sound. Yep. Uh, So we're going to end follow-up with something really pretty awesome from Nathan, who mentioned on Twitter, Apple's earning calls, which we're not covering today, but if you want to hear some about it, go listen to Upgrade 100. Apple's earning calls are like two-thirds of a connected FM show, uh, a southerner that does follow-up, and an Italian that gets into the nitpicks. (laughs) We need Johnny to come on and talk about aluminium a bunch, and then we're set, right? Can you imagine him on a earnings call? I I bet he's quite angry a lot. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't give one iota of care about a quarterly calls. <laughs> like he just doesn't care at all. He's like, oh, oh yeah, we are publicly traded. Who knew? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure his accountant knows. I mean, that yeah, boy, he's got some sweet stock options. I I think Luca has a much thicker accent than than I than I do. I don't know. I've never listened to one of those calls. Really? Yeah, never. Oh, you're missing all the fun, Mike. No. Yeah, it's fun. I never, ever listen to them. I, I can't deal it's with great. it. It's great. I mean, I, I listen to the calls only for Jim Master at this point because I really want to see the reaction from team. I feel like Gene and team are like, you know, two, two uh, frenemies, you know? Like mm-hmm. They're both friends and enemies, but they sort of they get snappy at each other sometimes. It's always fun. Yeah, and his calls seem to always happen at weird times of day for me because I always feel like I'm catching up on it like hours and hours later. It's kind of like late-ish in my evening time, around kind of dinner time or something. 
I think it's interesting to hear. I don't I don't know if Luca's accent is thicker than yours, Federico, but I do think they're they're pretty different. But uh yeah, you should everyone should listen to one every once in a while. It's fun to hear uh these guys answer questions from people who clearly don't pay attention to the way that we do, right? If someone asks like a really like boneheaded question and you just kinda wanna just put your head down on your desk. And I'm sure I'm sure there have been times where, like Steve Jobs or Tim Cook have just muted the phone call and just like thrown something across the room and then unmute the phone call and answered the stupid question. But maybe I just imagine that it's a, it's quarterly call fanfic really is what I'm doing. Oh my word. Uh, just before the show went on the air today, uh, Logitech released a new create keyboard for the 9.7 inch iPad pro. So the create keyboard was one of the first two products that what came out with the original iPad pro um, and it was one of the smart connector uh, keyboards. And now we have a 9.7, which seems to have improved upon the 12.9 in a, a bunch of interesting ways. Uh, one of them is that it has an Apple Pencil holder built into the case, which I think is a fantastic attachment and an addition to the case. So you can kind of slide it into the back of the, the case and it will stay there nice and nice and neatly. Um, it also has backlit keys. Does the 12.9-inch one have backlit keys, Federico? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know that. When we were talking about the Razer stuff last week, um, it didn't cross my mind that there was actually uh, a product. I think you had the same reaction uh, when we when we covered the keyboard in November and I told you it was backlit. We're like, huh, really? Like, were you mm. all surprised? Uh, you know, the, the surprised voice that you do? Huh. I'm not sure. That's I, this I, one. This one yeah, right here. That, wow. That, one, that, that <laughs> voice. That voice. You yeah. did that voice back in November. And now you're doing it again. So, yes. So this one's in black and blue, and I'm happy that there is finally something which isn't like a super boring color, right? Like a, it's not all gray all the time. Uh, it's $130, and it, it looks pretty cool. Uh, I have pre-ordered one because I'm interested in trying this one out because it is a bit more, uh, I don't know, like it just feels like a bit more than a smart connector. It's got, like, it looks like it has interesting keys. I like the idea of it being backlit. Um, I, I tend to do quite a lot of work when all the lights are off at home. Um, so that might be nice to have backlit keys to maybe I could just use this in the evening or something. Who knows, depending on how I like it. Uh, because it is a full case, which I'm not too keen on. And it doesn't really, and that's kind of the cloth backing. I'm not sure how well that will take the stickers. So I don't, I don't know what I think about this. I'm curious to try this, even if I don't really use the 9.7, because it looks like a better version of what I reviewed in November. Um, yep. So I complained about the size, the fact that it was bulky, and that it was uh, too difficult to put the iPad in the case and remove it from, from, the, from the case because it was all janky, like the, mm -hmm. the corners of the plastic. I didn't like those. And I also didn't like the fact that the, the red texture uh, got all dirty in a couple of weeks, and that it basically the stickers for uh, the volume buttons uh, they just uh, came off in in about a you know couple of days, and it looks like this version is an improvement over the twelve point nine. Uh, you know, not to mention the Apple Pencil holder, which is really nice. Uh, but they didn't update the twelve point nine version of the Create keyboard, which kind of makes me sad because I wish I could give it another try. Um, but it's you know this one uh, smaller. I guess lighter, and maybe they were able to fix some of the shortcomings of the first version, should be a decent keyboard. It's still kind of weird that basically we only have two accessories for the smart connector, uh, which is uh, the, the Create and the Razer. 
uh, it's really odd. It's been almost a year of iPad Pro at this point. And we've seen what? Uh, two companies besides uh, Apple doing uh, smart connector accessories. It's strange. One thing that this keyboard has, which no other iPad keyboard has, is a choice of layouts. So if you're not on the US website, if you're on one of the European websites, you can pick from UK, US, international. I don't know what that is. I expect that is just US layout with some keys in different places, so it won't have the nice uh, return key that I wished I could have. It has Dutch, Spanish, French, Italian, Swiss, and... Ah, this, <laughs> I'm struggling with one in this list. I can't think of what language this is because it's in the native language. Uh, so I'm just going to back away from that one. <laughs> Sorry, whoever is Dansk, Norsk. Uh, it would be like from Norway or something. Come on, Mike, you can do it. Sweden? Yeah, or something like that. But I don't know what the language is. So anywho, this is now available in a bunch of different layouts, so that's a good thing. Federico, I assume you might want to pick up an Italian one. Yeah, if, I, if I'm going to pick up one, it's going to be Italian. Same reason why I cannot type on the smart keyboard anymore, not just because I don't like it, uh, but because of the keys. You know, I got a magic keyboard and it's got a lot of my accented characters and, you know, the, the layout that I'm used to uh, in Italy. Uh, the smart keyboard still US only, which I really don't understand, Uh but yes, if I'm going to pick up one, it's going to be the Italian, sweet, sweet Italian layout. So we'll try it out. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm wondering, like, will I have to remove the little pen loop that I have on the back of my iPad to get the, this thing to fit in the case? Probably. So who knows? This thing might actually arrive. I try and use it and just immediately send it back. But uh, I'm willing to give it a go just because it looks like a kind of cool case and cool keyboard. So I'm pleased to see there's still more happening. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com. And when you do, make sure that you use the offer code WORLD at checkout because you will get 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace will let you build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding experience required. If you've never built a website before, you don't know how to do it. It doesn't matter. You don't need to go and buy huge books to try and learn CSS or HTML. You don't need to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace will give you everything you need. They'll give you all of the tools that you need. They have state-of-the-art technology to help you build a website that looks and feels exactly how you want, and you'll be able to take advantage of responsive design, professional, beautiful layouts that will look great on every device. Squarespace manage everything for you. They'll manage your hosting, which is rock-solid and fast, and they also ensure that your website remains secure and stable at all times, and this is one of the many reasons why they are trusted by millions of people around the world. These people all have access to 24-7 support with live chat and email, the ability to sell things online with the commerce platform, and also to build great single-page websites like the cover page. You should become one of these people. Go and sign up right now at squarespace.com. You'll be able to try it out for, with no credit card required and start building your own website today. Just go to squarespace.com. Their plans stay... Plans start at just $8 a month, and when you decide to sign up, use that offer code WORLD. Not only will you be supporting this show, you'll also be getting 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace for sponsoring this week's episode of Connected and Relay FM. 
underscore doing what he does in the chat room is helping me uh, to correct my previous blunder on keyboards. We're looking at Danish, Norwegian, Swedish, and Finnish. So Scandinavian would be what we were looking for there. Um, I was looking at the countries, felt like I knew what they were, but my brain couldn't compute. (laughs) So there we go. I had stage fright, everyone. So we're going to talk about the iPod Classic. (sighs) What year is this? Well, that's kind of the point of the story. There was an article over on The Ringer about the crazy life the iPod Classic has had since Apple discontinued it, which was back in 2014, I think, about two years ago. And there's this whole like explosion of value on these things. You go on eBay and they're like a thousand dollars. The the author links to one that's seventeen hundred dollars on eBay right now. Um, and people are, are are just buying these things up now. People want them like new and in box and all fancy and everything. But there does seem to be like this weird sort of hipster thing going on around around these iPods. And the writer kind of goes into why. Uh, she thinks this may be happening. There are two parts that I really wanted to talk to you guys about, um, besides hearing your obvious pain at talking about this as a topic at all. But this idea that there's so many options on streaming services. So if you open Spotify or Apple Music and you're just presented with a search box or a browse button, that you have a tendency to kind of play the same stuff like over and over. Um, I mean, discounting something like... um, you know, the discovery features in Spotify and Apple Music. But if you just want to go listen to something that's not being, like, sort of pushed at you from the from the algorithm or from the editors, if you're just going to go search for something, it's kind of hard to remember or hard to discover things, like, in your memory if you can't see them. And so she thinks that the iPod Classic, obviously, you sync your whole music library to it, and you're going to scroll through and be like, oh, I haven't listened to this album by whoever since college, and I want to listen to it again. And that sort of sense of discovery, I think, is... It's kind of an interesting uh, way of looking at it, as opposed to something that's like a search box in Spotify. I don't know. What do you guys? What do you guys think about that? I don't know about this. I don't know about this because I mean, I compile a library of the stuff that I like in my streaming services. So, like when I open Apple Music, I have like a bunch of artists and a bunch of albums in there. I mean, it's not everything I've ever owned, but the likelihood of me listening to something that I haven't listened to for fifteen years. I think is is slim for me. Like I can't if I haven't listened to something for fifteen years. There's probably a reason for that. And if you're someone who just searches, I get that. But I think a lot of people add music to their streaming service library, like I do. I know not everybody does this. I don't think Federico does this, but I assume lots of people do. Hence, why the feature exists. Like otherwise, why would any? Why would the? Why would Apple even build the ability to add a library and to add stuff to your collection of songs? And sure. I think that I don't feel like I'm listening to the same stuff all the time because I do one or two things. I either well, one or three things. I'm either going to listen to a thing that's specifically in my head that I want to go and listen to, or I'm scrolling through my list of albums and list of artists to find something that I want inspiration for, or I'm opening up for you, which I do probably the majority of the time, and picking one of the playlists, which will give me some stuff that I know and some stuff that I don't, and. The idea of music discovery is really important now, and there's no way that an iPod Classic can do that. Like, it can't show me stuff I don't know because it doesn't have it. So this just feels like, to me, and again, this isn't an issue, but this just feels like somebody to me who has a very specific view of how to consume music, which, Mm. like, I do right now, which I'm explaining, and 
this just seems like somebody who is like you, Stephen, who likes to just have a library. I, I don't think that it inherently means that the iPod Classic is a superior way to listen to music. I don't think it's necessarily a superior way either, but I do think it highlights the differences between the way you and I consume music. And, mm-hmm. and clearly there's people on, on both sides of it. You know, part of this idea is true that you can do it offline, right? That you don't have to do, you know, listen to music or have your phone tied up if it's plugged into a, a sound system or something. But the music can kind of be an, an isolated media in a way that on an iPod that it can't be on an iPhone. I don't think that's as big a part of it, but I think it's part of it as well. I think it all comes down to your idea of what kind of music you want to listen to because it's not about the device or the service that you used to listen to music. It's what you, how and what you want to listen to in the sense that if you're at a point in your life where you say, I don't want to discover anything new. I just want to listen to to this music that I know. I just want to discover some old music that that's in my library. Uh, that's fine. I mean, an iPad Classic or even, you know, a collection of CDs, whatever. Uh, as long as it's music, it's fine. But uh, if I, when I'm looking at my usage of Spotify and Apple Music, I, I don't think there's, there's a single way that I listen to music. You know, I'm just moving around, jumping around between sections. And I, I still like to be surprised. And I cannot be surprised by something that is not there. And I, I like to, you know, to be... I like to find things I don't know, still. And that's why I like Discover Weekly in Spotify. That's why I'm looking forward to Discovery Mix in Apple Music. And I, I, don't, I don't browse my library for this very reason. Uh, because I don't want to listen to the same stuff over and over. And when I do want to listen to something that I know, it's because I think about it. And when I think about it, I use search. Otherwise, I either jump between the browse page or playlists like Mike does. And I feel like it's these two ways to enjoy music. They can be complementary to each other, you know. Uh, And I do understand the perspective of someone who says there's just too many options and there's the paradox of choice. And I, I, I really can't choose anymore. And if I can draw a parallel here, it would be similar to me saying... There's just too many video games on the eShop, on the PlayStation Store, on the App Store. I just want to go back to my parents' house and play the video games that I already own. And that makes sense. That can be done. There's people who, you know, who are really into retro gaming and they don't buy new games. They just play old games and they still have fun. So I don't think the article, or I don't think we should be saying, well... Look at us, we're ruined. Uh, we we invented music streaming and now we're, we're stupid people constantly obsessed <laughs> with finding new new singles. You know, life goes on, there's new music, it's fine. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel like in many... <laughs> in, when it comes to a lot of tech opinions, my my final conclusion is always it's fine. I don't know if it's because I'm I'm, I'm changing or if I... But really, uh, I'm starting to to think that if you if you don't like something that I like, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've noticed this sort of new behavior of mine a, a lot in the past year. It's not that I don't care. It's that it you know it's fine. There's no winner or loser. It's just you mm-hmm. like the Apple Classic, cool. I like Apple Music, cool. You know. I don't know, man. <laughs> 
No, you have to argue your point with everyone. I don't want to. See, I don't want to argue. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. That's the problem. No, I really, this, I really no, don't this want is to. what comes with being a seasoned technologist. If, if you're not arguing your point, then, then what are you even doing? What is that to argue? If this person likes to listen to Led Zeppelin and the Beatles on, on an iPod Classic, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and I want to <laughs> listen to Panda by Designer on Apple Music. That's also fine, you know? Oh, man. I don't, you're doing it wrong, man. You got it all wrong. <laughs> Am I? Yeah. Are you? Take it to medium, Mike. Okay, I'm going to go write a hot think piece blog <laughs> take on all of this. <laughs> you should have a medium blog, Mike. That's where yeah. all of the hot taking is happening these days. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have that many. I don't think I have enough to sustain a medium blog. So yesterday we got Apple's long-promised Apple TV remote uh, iPhone app. This was discussed. Uh, Federico, remind me when was when did Apple first mention this? John Gruber's talk show episode with him and with, with Federico and Q. So back in like February or March, uh, it's finally here. Um, there's a link to a Mac Stories article about it, and there there are a couple of things that we just need to get out of the way before we get into how it actually works. Uh, there's no iPad app, which I find frustrating because I, I don't know about you guys, but in the evenings, if we're watching TV, very often I'll have my phone charging in our bedroom and I may just keep the iPad around. You know, something comes up and it'd be nice to have this as an iPad app and it's just... Well, okay, so I have two thoughts on this, it's even as an iPad person. One, I think it just makes way more sense on the phone. Well, sure. The other is you could just download it and use it. It will still work. Ugh. But it will work, though. It's blown up I phone apps on the iPad made me sad. Uh, number two... What's going? If you haven't seen the icon of this thing, it is basically a top-down view of the Apple TV. So it's like a, it's not even all the way black. It's like a gray background with the Apple hmm. TV logo stamped into it. What I don't like about the logo is the how dim it is. The the logo itself, like just with the Apple TV icon yeah. logo thing, is fine, but it's it just looks too dim, and I can't understand why. Why I just don't get it. Yeah. I think it's I think it's because it's sort of low contrast. I saw so I saw a tweet go by, I don't remember from who, saying you know that that like it was actually kind of hard to find it because it's kind of kind of forgettable, which made me uh, maybe sad for the Apple TV uh, design intern. And I mean, the real question is why? Like, what what took so long? I mean, clearly there there's something in TVOS that had to be added or changed to make this remote work, but it's um. You know, it's like, why did you bring it up in February or March? Did you think you were close to it then? Did you bring it up just to appease people? Because there was some uh, contention around the fact that it wasn't here, but the Apple TV shipped back in the fall. And so by the time the talk show rolled around, the, the product had been out like four or five months, and then you wait another two or three months to get it out. Just kind of, and the timing's all very strange to me. But as far as the app itself goes, it's pretty straightforward. You launch the app, and like the old remote app, it says, hey, enter the four-digit pin that we are showing on the Apple TV. So you turn your TV on, enter the four-digit pin, and then it's paired. And it looks basically like the Siri remote. It's a black UI, lots of lots of gray. Again, people in the chat room talking about dark mode. Um, this could fit into a dark mode at some point really easily. And the remote basically has two modes, if you will. The sort of default mode is you have uh, some buttons on the the bottom part of the screen, and the top part of the screen is a large, basically a large touch area. So you can move your thumb around on the surface of your iPhone, 
and it you know it's just like moving your thumb across the surface of the Siri remote. Uh, and that's fine. Um, but it also doubles as a game controller. So at the top of the screen, there is an icon that looks like the Nimbus gaming controller, kind of. And you tap that, and the UI rotates. So you know you, it wants you to turn your phone on its side. And it, this works even without with rotation lock on. I always leave rotation lock on on my phone, and it ignores that. It's like the UI just does its own thing. And then you have a game controller button, um, like the A button. You have an X menu button, and then you have... Uh, a, the touchpad area. So I, I played, I mean, just for a couple minutes, but I played Sonic and I played Asphalt 8, uh, the racing game, uh, with this. And it, it gets the job done. It's it's not as awkward to me as a Siri remote just because my phone is much bigger and kind of easier to hold on to. But definitely not uh, as good as the, as the Nimbus, uh, which is not a great game controller, but... I think it's better than using this thing. But it, again, I think it's passable for these very simple games that you have on the Apple TV. When does the button show up? Like, do you have to be in a game for it to show up? It, it may be when you open a game. I may have opened Sonic and then... It must be contextual. Yeah, it may be. And you can see screenshots on, on the Mac Stories piece. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty simple app. I think they do kind of a good a good job, actually, of mimicking the Siri remote as far as the way it looks. But... um. It's a nice alternative if you can't find your Siri remote or if you break it and don't want to spend the whatever it is, $49 to repair it or to replace it. But um, there's no volume control, which is, uh, to me, the biggest downside. Yep. That, you know, I, Once I turn on my television, all I need is my Apple TV remote. Um, and it'd be nice if they had brought that functionality into the, you know, the remote app. Now, I don't know. Maybe the chat room knows. Um, it may be that... That it can't do whatever it has to do with like sending the volume commands, um, or it may just be an oversight. I don't... It needs infrared, which it can't have. Right. I think I think that stuff is all done by infrared. So there's the uh, there's the answer. And uh, but it's responsive and it gets the job done. Uh, my big questions are just what <laughs> what took so long? Yeah, uh, the buttons are really responsive. It is good. I like it. I mean, the the controller thing like it's never going to be as good as the physical controller because when you're playing Apple TV games, you're supposed to not be looking at the controller and it's difficult to use uh, a touchscreen buttons when you're not looking at it. Um, it's it's much easier to have something you can feel, so it works that way. But as a as a way to control my Apple TV when either I can't find the remote or the remote is broken, which is mm-hmm. likely to happen at some point, uh, I'm happy that I have this now. It's just I'm just going to leave it in my Apple folder, but it's there when I need it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I I don't really use the Apple TV, so I'm just listening to you too. Talk about this. I use it every single day, multiple times a day. Yeah, what what, what are you watching? Like TV shows and yeah. YouTube? TV okay. shows and YouTube. Like right now we're watching The Sopranos and uh, there's a service in the UK called Now TV um, and we're watching The Sopranos on Now TV and we watch it on our Apple TV. The Now TV app sucks so bad, but mm. we're able to watch the stuff on there easily. Um, and I like it for that and I like watching YouTube videos on it and, and stuff like that yeah so it's, it's good I use it way more than I expected I would like I really thought that the Apple TV was just going to be a dud product in my house but it's something that, that I have been using every day for a while now and, and it, it's fit quite nicely into our setup and, and my expectation will be that when we move when we get our place it will be the only thing plugged into the TV in the front room because I'll still have all of my games consoles probably in my office um, but it's the only box that we use and it works really well for us. You know, Stephen, you mentioned about turning the TV on, like we're in that lucky camp where our 
Apple TV remote is able to control the television like completely. So yeah. the only for, remote for that now. I use, <laughs> yeah, I know. The only remote that I use is the Apple TV remote. I press the little button and it turns it on and then I hold it and it turns off the TV and it's great. Yeah, I wish mine would do that because I mean the only thing I use my TV remote for now because because the only thing we have we have a Mac Mini on another HDMI put input but we rarely use it. The Apple TV is TV in our house and so it's not like I'm, I'm I mean I'm not changing cable cable channels or anything so oh well and as as they point in the chat room yes I am a CEC unicorn that is what I am that's right this episode is also <laughs> brought to you by the Ring Video doorbell with ring you can see and talk to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world using your smartphone which is kind of a great thing if you imagine our devices are all connected to the internet these days why do we need to think about having a doorbell or an intercom that can only be seen from a specific place so you can only look through the door or look at the little thing on the wall right with the little tv screen when we have these devices with these beautiful screens on them all you need to do is put a camera on the front of your home that's a doorbell that also will beam to the internet, and you are protected. And that is what Ring is all about. You can protect your home and loved ones today by going to ring.com slash connected. For a limited time, you will get $50 off the Ring of Security kit. Now, why did the Ring come into existence? It is because there is a home burglary every 13 seconds, and most of these happen in broad daylight. So someone will ring your doorbell to make sure if you're in, and then if you're not in, then bad things may occur. The Ring video doorbell has been proven to stop burglaries before they happen because you will be able to see and talk to the person who's rung your doorbell. So it will seem like you're at home. But then also you will have video footage of them and everything. And yeah, you'll get a notification as they approach the door. It is really, really cool. And you can also buy a little add-on box, which actually make a doorbell sound as well. So it can work as a, just a regular doorbell if you want. And now Ring is bringing their advanced motion detection technology that they've had to protect your entire property with the ring of security kit so not only do you get the doorbell product which goes on the front door and people can see it and they will press it and it will alert you they also now have something called the ring stick-up camera which is a wireless weatherproof hd camera that you can use to keep an eye on other parts of your property so you can stick them up anywhere you want maybe on the back door maybe on the side of the building you can even have them inside the home if you want and your home will be completely protected at all times the ring video doorbell and the stick-up cam Take just minutes to install, and then they will work together, providing 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. These products look really great. The the doorbell, you can get in a bunch of different colors as well, so it will kind of match your door and, and your home, which is really nice. They have a great application that has great video, and the video and sound quality is excellent. But most of all, the Ring video doorbell and stick-up cam, the Ring of Security kit, will give you peace of mind. Join the hundreds of thousands who protect their home with the Ring. For a limited time, listeners of this show can get $50 off the Ring of Security kit. This is the lowest price you will find anywhere. So go right now to ring.com slash connected for your $50 off. Once again, that is ring.com, R-I-N-G dot com slash connected. Thank you so much to Ring for their support of this show and Relay FM. So let's talk about some changes in the media. Um, both iMore has made some big changes this week, and also uh, Joshua Topolsky has come out of hiding to uh, unveil his new project. Stephen, can you break down what's going on over at iMore? Uh, sure. So I think the, the short version is they are putting an end to their sort of daily news operation. Uh, I, I don't really know... 
what this means in practice. So I write a monthly column for iMore, but I'm, I'm not part of their staff. I had no knowledge of this before it happened. Um, but it seems like they are going to uh, scale way back on posting the same sort of news that, that everyone else does. So the stories that end up on, you know, uh, Mac World and Mac Rumors and 9to5Mac, I don't think you're going to see those uh, so much on iMore anymore. So even just yesterday when like the developer beta 4 of iOS and tvOS and macOS Sierra dropped, um, what iMore had instead was some useful information about if you want to run the betas, how to do it, and some guides and stuff uh, around that. And that seems to be really where they are um, aiming now, where they are going to be focusing much more on their content around tips and how-tos and guides. And they've been, I mean, if you've been paying attention, they've been ramping that up for a long time now. And it seems like that's the direction that they, they are going. And um, I think it's really interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, I think that sort of, there's a there's a limited number of websites that can sustain themselves doing the same thing that everyone else does. And these sort of like big news operations are expensive and um, a lot of people subscribe to a bunch of them. And so why just be one more article? You know, lots of people are going to cover developer beta four coming out. But if you took your resources and instead had content around how to prepare for that, how to back it up, should you do it or not? Like the sort of more... Uh, non-news sort of softer stuff, um, then that, you know, that I can see where that can make um, a lot of sense. There's also, of course, an SEO angle here as well, where if you are writing things like how to you know do X, and X is popular in the news right now, then you will benefit from uh, some of the search engine voodoo that's going on around that topic. And that, I think, irks a lot of people, uh, not just with iMore, but with lots of websites. Um, the comments yesterday to Renee's piece were pretty pretty gross in places, <laughs> people really complaining about that sort of thing. That's comments though, right? Yeah, I mean, don't ever look at them. I guess iMore is doing what they feel like they need to to stay relevant. I think that's I think that's good. I, I, everyone on staff at iMore is great, and I, I like what they do, and I like being uh, a columnist there. Um, but it's just, an, it's just an interesting change and one that is not super surprising if you've been paying attention to their coverage or even the the market in general. I mean, Federico, you and I were talking about it uh, yesterday. We're like, Mac Stories really isn't in the news game either. A long time mm-hmm. ago, you decided to focus on what you focus on and your website's better for it. And I think the the same thing will be true in iMore uh, over time. Yeah, I mean, since we we decided to move away from you know, the news cycle and not just not covering news because I still think there's value in in, in Mac stories uh, highlighting the most important news, but in following the, the, the urgency of news, you know, of constantly being obsessed by being first. Um, since we moved away from that, uh, personally, I've been really much more relaxed and... Uh, I've lived a better life and I've enjoyed my job more. And I also think that um, if you want to be in that game, because of course, you know, whether it's TV or, you know, tech news or tech websites, there's value in breaking news. There's value in, in being first. And unless you have a lot of money to pay a lot of people and a staff, uh, there's going to, there's always going to be websites bigger than you, operations bigger than you, whether it's the Times or the Verge or BuzzFeed or Bloomberg, 
they're always going to beat you. Uh, no matter how many people constantly looking at Twitter you have, if only because most of the time news and especially tech news don't just happen somewhere in the world and then you get a rush to, to know what's happened. They're prepared beforehand. And there's just websites with NDAs and embargoes. And if you don't have it, then all you're left to do is reblock them. And after a while, it gets tiring and it's exhausting because you know you're never going to be first because those people have much better, uh, you know, much wider staffs, resources and connections. And so I feel like the, of course, there's no, there's no single solution for everyone and everyone cites the kind of audience and the kind of website, website that they want to have. I can only speak from personal experience. I think uh, the kind of site that I want to have is to have a, per- a personal relationship with the reader and with the members. And I feel like there's a place for, you know, websites like Mac Stories where we cover, uh, you know, apps. We we cover news more in depth with a with a more calm, I would say, style when necessary. And we do links. And there's a place for, you know, 9to5Mac Mac and Mac Rumors. An Apple Insider, I would say, there's a place for The Verge. And I think Imor is making a wise choice in, in focusing on guides and tutorials and explaining things to all kinds of Apple users. I think th- that strategy is good for, is a good investment for the future because a lot of people can uh, find that content, uh, whether it's new or old. And I, I, cannot, I, I have to say, you know, when I'm looking for uh, solutions to simple Apple problems, and by simple I mean obvious things that are supposed to work but they don't, uh, Imor is usually well positioned on Google. And it makes sense from my Imor reader perspective to focus on that because they know they have style, they know how to do guides. And so not doing news, and by news, it's very rarely original news. It's reblogging, uh, adding a little color, a little context, which is fine. But I understand why, uh, from a personal perspective, it's exhausting. And from a professional standpoint, it's not really re- rewarding after a while. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm not surprised. I think it makes sense. I think it's a, probably the best decision at this point. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I, yeah, of course, I wish I were the best. Rene is a great guy. So... We'll see how, how it works out for them. Federico, how do you decide what news you do post? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, there's a personal attachment to some news. For instance, uh, I haven't been posting much on Mac Stories for the past few weeks because I've, I've been working on the iOS 10 review. But last night, uh, John texted me and he was like, look, there's a new iPad Pro commercial on YouTube. And because of my personal attachment to the iPad Pro, uh, I knew that was one thing I wanted to have on the site. So I think it depends on two factors, at least for Mac stories. How much, how much I want to do it myself, how much I want to cover news myself, either because it matters to me and by extension to readers who follow me, or how much context, personal context I can add and then the second kind, I would say, it's important things that by not covering them, you'd be doing a disservice to the reader. So even if I'm not personally attached to that, let's say that uh, Apple releases uh, an OS X or macOS update 
with a with a brand new feature that my people should know about. I'm not going to do that myself because I don't necessarily care about it, but I recognize that it's important and that, you know, I try to imagine Mac Stories readers as a as a very diverse audience and I try to imagine that these people are busy, you know, they have families, they have jobs and maybe they they like to catch up in the evening, sit down and and see what's new on Mac Stories. And if something important has, has happened and we don't have it, then we're not helping those readers, right? So even if it doesn't matter to me, even if it's not a, even if, if I don't have a personal attachment to news such as the iPad Pro last night, if I think, I try to put myself in the shoes of a Mac Stories reader and I say, if I don't see this on Mac Stories, am I going to be upset? And when the answer is yes, then I ask someone on the team to do it, to cover it for me. Or, you know, to just, hey, do you think this is important? And it's a very collaborative uh, approach at this point. I talk to John, I talk to Graham, I talk to Alex or Jake. And when we decide this is worth having on the site, then we go for it. And one general rule of thumb that we have is uh, we, we, we don't cover rumors. Uh, and it's really the same reasoning. One... We cannot beat, you know, Bloomberg or 9to5Mac at their own game. And two, if I were a Mac Stories reader and I invest my time, so I look at I look at readers as, you know, people who invest their time on Mac Stories. I invest my time on these unconfirmed news. That's maybe going to be true, maybe not. But if it's not, did I just waste 10 minutes reading something that is just completely made up information? Is it useful? So ultimately, that, that criteria, you know, is it useful? Is it a good time investment? That's how I decide. So there's a personal aspect and there's a respect for the reader aspect. And uh, I just feel it's something you 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 have to practice over time. You know, r- respect for readers is 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 a skill that you need to hone and that you need to Yeah, to keep true. I mean, it's been s- 7 years at this point, you know. It's not easy. And sometimes when I'm on vacation and something happens and no one's ready to cover it, I get the itch, you know? I should maybe do it myself. And eventually we always figure it out. Does it make any sense? It's a, it's a, it's a whole process, you know? No, it does. And I think, I think ultimately that publications of all shapes and sizes, not just web, are better once someone is thinking about things that critically, that if you just are starting out or if you're running some, you know, uh, organization that just its goal is to get as much out there as possible, like, like that's fine. And this is really blending into the Topolsky uh, thing. But if you want to build something that has a specific reader in mind and you want to build something that you can be proud of every single post you put up, then that's a different thing. And I think that's what I'm is doing. I think that's definitely what this Topolsky thing is doing. So, you know, he announced, um, uh, on Monday in the wall street journal, um, that his new venture is called the outline and it is going to be a, a site with content focused on, uh, power, um, as it relates to things like politics and business, uh, culture, and what he's calling the future. And he has said, he says in this in this article that their goal is to reach 10 to 15 million users and that they've raised $5 million to, to, to do that. That he is not going after absolutely everyone. You know, you look at something like, we'll just take The Verge, for instance, which he helped found. 
started life as a gadget blog, really, um, and has just exploded into covering all sorts of things. Space, cars, culture, media. Animals. Animals, which just... um, (laughs) I find that series annoying. Yeah. Uh, As it has grown, they've had to increase the number of ads on the site, and they have... Um, Vox is trying to squeeze more out of it. And a weird side of, as a sidebar to that, I find it really interesting to see reporters come and go from the, from sites like the verge, these huge sites that are just pumping out content all day. Like clearly you're just going to run people into the ground at a point. Um, but Topolsky's thing, which is called again, called the outline seems to be a little bit different. And he wants to move away from impression based advertising. Like, which like props to you uh, to think that you can um, make that work on the web. And I hope that he can, but that's going to be really difficult. Um, But he is looking, clearly looking to like craft a specific audience and saying that you're going to do that with like 15 to 20 pieces of content a day, which the verge does that many times over most days. It's just an interesting contrast to me. And I, I like these two articles or these two news stories being, kind of on our minds this week because it really goes to this bigger question Federica that you answered of like how do you approach your audience you know I know with 512 I have a very particular audience in mind I know that with this show the audience is different that I think 512 readers and connected listeners obviously there's tons of overlap but connected is bigger and broader and connected is where I get to do my Apple news stuff you know there's stuff Federica that you and I talk about on the show that we don't write about or that we don't link to and for my part, it's because I kind of cover it here, and I don't necessarily want to cover the news on 512 as much as I maybe did five or six years ago. It's so like all of this goes into that conversation of who is your site for, and, and I'm always trying to answer that in a new way. The outline is clearly trying to do it in a new way, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch um, those things uh, take take shape over the, the coming months. I'm also in the same boat as you as like I really want Topolsky to do well because I I like his work I've been a fan of his work for a long time and I like his approach here I think it's interesting to try and not go after everyone and make that clear and I guess even to the people he's investing well definitely to the people he's investing to he's even making that clear which I assume he's got some very particular investors that like that style right rather than just wanting to to get the maximum maximum return possible yeah, but I am very interested to see how he convinces current web advertisers to throw everything they think they know out of the window. It's gonna be hard, and, and that's really what I'm most curious about. This, like, I, I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of him. I think I, mean, I have no question that the content is going to be great. The Wall Street Journal talks about some of his, some of the people he's hired, and they're all like top notch reporters. I think it's going to be really well done, really well produced. I think it's going to look good. But that that is the the core question here of can you build a readership that then you can sell advertising against that's not just sort of like the gross impression-based ads that that so much that have taken over so much of the web, right? It's what people complained um <laughs> about iMore a lot, unfortunately. A lot of their ads were really kind of gross and a lot of bigger websites really struggle with that. Because the, as you go broader, it's harder to sell meaningful advertising, right? If you have, if you have something that's really specific, like the pin addict on Relay or Brad's website, like you know exactly who that audience is, and you can sell advertising 
uh, for that content pretty easily because you know that like these people are into these things. And as you get broader and bigger, that's harder. And I wonder if 10 to 15 million users is too big or too broad, but I think, I think time will tell with that, but you're right. It is that that's a really interesting thing that I want to keep an eye on if, if he can pull that off or not. Quip. Yeah. So <laughs> we're jumping all around this week, but uh, as we were preparing uh, last night, the news broke on TechCrunch and then on the Quip blog that Salesforce had purchased uh, Quip and um, it's for a whole bunch of money. Uh, like it's, it's what, $700 million or something? Yeah. Which is a ton of money. But I wanted to to read this from the Quip blog because I, I think we're going to get into um, talking about uh, what we think is going to happen to Quip. Quip is a document system like Google Docs, by the way, in case you don't know what it is. It's what we use for the show. We've mentioned it in the past, but just in case you want a refresher, it's kind of like a, a Google Docs, Google Sheets type competitor. Yeah, they've got iOS apps and web apps and Mac app. Mm-hmm. Um, so they say, we're committed to growing and expanding Quip's productivity platform as a part of Salesforce. If you're a Quip customer, please know that we continue to provide you with service and products that you've come to expect from us. Um, if you're not yet a customer, sign up your team. And they said they're hiring. Like The next paragraph is like, we're hiring jobs. Click on this link, submit your resume. But I can't help but think that Quip eventually is going to become part of Salesforce. CRM and enterprise tools and that people like us, like, so we don't have like relay does not have an account with quip. We have a bunch of like individual accounts that we share stuff with. Um, we don't, we don't per, we don't pay for quip at this point. And my guess is that that's going to go away and that you can only use quip as part of like Salesforce, uh, bigger system. And so Salesforce does lots of things at its core. It's like a, a CRM. So a customer relation, customer relationship management tool, you know, you can keep up with sales stuff and lead generation and all that stuff. And there's a, there's a place for that. Um, but my guess is Quip is going to be like, you can collaborate with documents inside of this. But, um, so I don't know, like I'm, I'm happy for the, the guys who run Quip. I, I mean, I've got my problems with their Mac app, but it's a great service. Um, it seems to be built by people who really care about it. Um, but my guess is that we're going to be back in Google Docs at some point if they flip the switch off on like free individual accounts. Yeah, it's so sad. I mean, and it's it's even funnier for us because uh, we have just recently recorded our Relay FM Connected members special. So in August, kind of mid to late August, if you are a Relay FM member, we're going to be releasing a bunch of special episodes. Then you can still sign up now. You'll you'll get them. Go to uh, relay.fm slash membership and you can find out more about that. And on that show, we're talking about our home screens and we all talk about Quip and we all talk about it being the best choice for us and how it works the best on iOS and that's why we use it and because we can use split screen and it's the only one and Google Docs can go die on a fire and all that kind of stuff. And now, uh, unfortunately, Quip might be going away at some point and uh, it's just the connected curse all over again. Yeah, well, it's uh, sometimes, you know, you like something and it goes away and all you can do is make a podcast about it. Yeah, if you if you love a web app, you got to let it go. Yeah, we're, you know? we're, we're all coping with loss here. And in this case, it's about, uh, you know, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be ashamed or happy that I don't know what Salesforce is. I'm gonna go with happy. You, there's no reason. It would be weird if you knew. You, you don't do sales. You've never been in sales. It would be very strange if you full. Full. Sales of what? Anything. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, Salesforce is 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 huge, huge. You must have heard of Salesforce, though, right? You you know Salesforce. I I have heard of the CEO being this kind of odd guy, and they make a convention with all kinds of weird things going on. Sure, 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 sure. Right. I mean, I don't know that part, but yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. You know, there's a there's is there a word for like when corporations try to be hip and cool? No, but there should be one. There's probably a German word for it. What about like if we just go with corporation? Corporation? Yeah. Corporation. Corporation. <laughs> yeah, that's what how I picture uh, these companies like Salesforce. Oh, it's like manufactured fun, that kind of thing. No, corporate is is better. Corporate. There we go. Corporate. <laughs> we got there. This week's episode is brought to you by a company that's not corporate, by a company that is cool, and that is Pingdom. You can start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com. And when you do, you'll get a 14-day free trial. And when you enter the offer code connected at checkout, you will get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. They take care of this by emulating visits to your website from 70 global test servers. They're checking its availability as often as every single minute to make sure that everything is looking great from all over the world. As well, they monitor all of the individual parts of your website as well, not just if the whole thing is up but you can tell it to monitor login search functionality blog homepage whatever is really important to you so if something breaks something goes down not the whole website but one part of it an important part pingdom can also let you know as well because stuff breaks on the internet all the time so you need to know about it Every month, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's incredibly important to monitor its availability and performance. All you need to do is give Pingdom the URL and it will take care of the rest. Pingdom detects an outage, they're going to let you know about it and you'll be able to fix it before that error affects you. You don't want to be caught out on Twitter just by somebody tweeting at you to tell you that your website's down. You need Pingdom. Check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your website is down. Go to Pingdom.com for a 14-day free trial and use the code CONNECTED to get 20% off at checkout. Thank you so much to Pingdom for their support of this show. So there's a new iOS 10 beta, guys, came out yesterday and it's got some news uh, in it, uh, which is Apple is doing new emoji. Uh, now, Apple is not yet showing their takes on the Unicode 9 standard of new emoji, like new characters, such as the bacon emoji or the, what's it called, the Pinocchio lying face. Uh, there's a bunch of new characters coming with, uh, with Unicode 9. But still, what we're getting is more gender diverse emoji in iOS uh, 10. It's currently available in iOS 10 beta 4, and I assume they're going to be available in iOS 10.0, like the first version in September. And in addition to diversity, we're also getting a slight redesign of the entire emoji line uh, with uh, with new shading, and uh, it's kind of more like a 3D look, more more uh, more uh, more shadows, more you know. Uh, 
the lighting of the characters is different and they do feel like a modernized version of the original MSN, you know, Microsoft Messenger emoticons from many, many years ago. Now, um, I think new emoji or more emoji, whatever, emoji changes are the best strategy to get people to upgrade and doing it in stages across the first version of iOS 10 and then maybe iOS 10.1 with the new Unicode 9 characters, that's the best strategy Apple has to entice people to upgrade. And also there's a, there's a press release for this on the mm. Apple uh, press release newsroom. Yeah, I think this has been proven out now that emoji is a really great way to just enforce OS adoption, which I think is great because people want them and also it's a visual thing. Like if I'm sending you a new emoji and you're on an old platform, you just can't see it. Mm -hmm. So it works really well for that, I think, which is which is nice. Now, I have a lot of thoughts about this, about this uh, this this new emoji stuff and about why Apple's doing it right now and things like that. So as of like today, like right now, the current Unicode conference is on. And one of the things that's being spoken about a lot is a lot of the gender neutral stuff. And many of these things have already been agreed upon, like having uh, more uh, diverse gender and neutral gender things. Like, so when we're seeing stuff like uh, female swimmer, male swimmer, female basketball player, male basketball player, male dancing, male bunny suit, like this is part of the overall moving all of these things and one of the things that is happening in the unico conference this week is expanding on that and going into detail a little bit more about it so the fact that we have more men more women emojis so like breaking that out and making it more level this is something that was decided on a while ago and google had already announced it and they're trying to push it even further and microsoft had already announced it and they actually implemented theirs today for I think for everybody, like it's out publicly in the Windows 10 anniversary update, I think it's called something like that. So my belief is that Apple has been working on Unicode 9 in the background and the new emojis coming with it, but wanted to have a kind of press release to confirm that they are doing something with the gender stuff. So they've done that now and put it out there along with some other smaller changes like some redesigns that they've done of the yellow faces. This isn't all that there is for Unicode 9. So that's what makes me think that they're doing this now just to make sure that they have their kind of intentions clear for the fact that there is the gender stuff now. So they're like, we have done this. Don't worry. Like that is out there. We care about this too. So we put it out. So there's more here. So as I said, they don't have all the other Unicode 9 stuff that will be coming. And that's why I expect that they've done this right now for this reason, as opposed to releasing the entire set or doing nothing. They've put the stuff out there, which means that they're showing that they're thinking more about the gender stuff. Um, and there's something that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is ZWJ emoji combinations. Now, I want you all to bear with me a little bit here. <laughs> do, you call, do you call them ZWJ or Switch? I wouldn't know what to call them. We can call them Zwidge. We'll call them Zwidge from now on. Like that. <laughs> so this, uh, the Zwidge emoji stuff has been noticed that Apple was implementing it because uh, some people found a rainbow flag inside of uh, iOS 10 as of yesterday. So this is a pride flag, and the pride flag takes advantage of the Zwidge uh, Unicode stuff to combine a flag, a white flag, a standard flag, and a rainbow. And when if you combine both of those two things together on 
say like you do it on iOS 9 or something, on iOS 10, it will show as a pride rainbow flag, right? Yeah. But this switch stuff goes much further than this. It's much deeper than this. All of the gender stuff that we've seen here, um, all of the stuff that we're seeing that's come out, they are all Zwidge emoji combinations. Now, I've put a link in the show notes to an Emojipedia article which explains some of the gender emoji stuff and it has a table, like a kind of list, which actually shows the Zwidge combinations. Because, like, so for example, if you want to see a male office worker and female office worker, the male office worker is the little dude with the moustache plus a briefcase. If you put those two things together in the underlying Unicode... Right, and you, 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 it's it's kind of complicated how this happens. Like, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure how the system detects all of this. But if you want to display male office worker or female office worker, you use those two emoji together, and when they are displayed together, the system understands that you're trying to show X, and it will display it. This is a way that platform vendors are able to make more emoji without them being have to be approved by the Unicode consortium. Because getting an actual emoji approved to be in the standard is really long and slow. So all of these gender emoji are just the vendors, the platform vendors, kind of agreeing that this is how it's going to be displayed. And then they put them out there. So all these emoji are are combinations of multiple emoji that when put together, it displays a new character. Which is Hmm. kind of weird. And I can prove this to you. And the way that I can prove this to you is if you open a Twitter client and you type in the, the smiley face emoji, it's probably one character. But if, for example, you type in the family, so the four-person family, it is seven characters, I believe. Let's try this. Um, where's the family? Because what's happening is the, huh. the amount of text that you're entering... That's true. <laughs> is multiple characters. And so this exists in previous emojis. So those family emojis, it's been like that for a while. But the new emojis, so if you take something like, uh, maybe I think one of the one of the new ones, uh, like if you take something like, I just pick it off the top of my head, say that male construction worker, female construction worker, that might be like three or four actual characters that are being entered, but they are displayed as one image. So in an outline in chat room, completely right, flags are two characters because they are, different codes so it is flag plus country so there's a lot of emoji is done like this so all the, i'm just basically dropping a bunch of knowledge that i know and i know this because jeremy burge of emojipedia is a friend of mine and we talk about emoji a lot when we have lunch in london so i've known about the way that these codes have been working for a while i even showed jeremy my notes last night to make sure that i was getting this completely right. <laughs> he said i was just about there so basically i just wanted to say like this stuff so these 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 are not actual real emoji Right. These aren't real emoji in the sense of in the Unicode standard. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but it's a new way that they're doing it. And Unicode is, is kind of saying, yes, you can do this. So they don't have to go through the whole big process of getting something approved. They're able to use this kind of new substandard so that more emoji can be kind of agreed upon. So in theory, you should be able, like, just hypothetically to, if you want to have an emoji of man eating pasta mm-hmm. you could join the man emoji and the pasta emoji and make a new one that it's actually a switch combination of the two perfect yep that's exactly cool. how it's being done very nice now yep. what i haven't tested is and i don't know about this like if you type those two emoji next to each other how it shows 
So, like, if I, on a older device, put man and briefcase together, does it show business person? No, because you're 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 declaring your intention of having a man and a briefcase as two separate characters. Yeah, like you're you're thinking of joining them together automatically. I don't think that's gonna happen. But what would what I do believe would happen is if you do it in the reverse. So if I on iOS 10 sent you something on iOS 9 that was one of the new Zwidge emoji. Yeah. So when you sent me today, um, it was a new uh, girl emoji. Um, or maybe it was a new man emoji. I don't know. Anyway, on the phone, I saw it as a new gender diverse one. There you on go. the On the watch, which was... Um, on, a, on an old beta of iOS 10, so beta 3, I got it as two characters. So it's doing, like, retroactively, it's unjoining them <laughs> uh, and displaying them as two characters. So there you go. That's how that works. I just used a very, very ugly word. I'm sorry. Unjoining them. Uh, unjo- unjoining is fine. We'll no, go with unjoining. It's terrible. Just terrible. But this wasn't all that Apple did yesterday. Uh, they also reimagined the gun emoji on iOS 10. It's, to my knowledge, the only emoji that was changed. Um, I think it's the only emoji that has ever been changed from Apple, like significantly. And what they've done is they've taken the old, what is called the pistol, and they have made it a water pistol. And there are many layers to this, which I find interesting. So I don't personally like the fact that there is a gun i've used a gun or whatever like to make jokes or whatever but it would be nice if there wasn't a gun emoji because guns are a violent thing and apple have decided to change it to a water pistol which is on the face of it much nicer it's nicer to have a little water pistol than to have an actual pistol but in changing something like an emoji what will happen is let's say that that somebody had sent a message to me with a gun in it to make a specific point. Now, if I open that same message, that gun will now be a water pistol. Because emoji aren't images, they're basically a font. Mm -hmm. So making a change to what the artwork is rendered as will retroactively change any usage that someone will see on any Apple platform of the gun emoji. And that is interesting. Yeah, I mean, imagine if if this happened to text. Like, someday someone wakes up and says, look, the character A of the alphabet is offensive, and we need to change that. So from today on, all A characters will actually be a modified B, because it, we think it's more fun. Now, I, I, I personally agree with you, Mike. I, I wish there, was, there wasn't uh, a gun emoji. Um... But I also understand, and I mean, you can see the, the comments from people, they're taking away our rights to have a gun emoji. But anyway, <laughs> um, it, does, it does raise a concern about the permanence of text in our digital communications. And uh, it's, it's even more, uh, not, not confusing, but complicated when you think about yep. the different implementations of emoji across different platforms. So right now, a person who, let's say a person who tweeted a gun emoji two years ago, the original tweet was with an actual pistol. Now on iOS, that tweet is a water gun. 
But if you go on Android, the same tweet from two years ago, still a pistol. And on Windows, it's a water gun, but it's going to be a pistol tomorrow because Microsoft is going to change emoji again. Well, actually, you say that. <laughs> they, that happened. I don't know if you know this. No, no, I, that's why I said it, because I saw Jeremy... Doing... Poor Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, right? They had previously, until today, rendered the gun as a ray gun. Like a space... Mm. Buzz Lightyear kind of ray gun? Space gun? Mm-hmm. They have now changed it to a revolver pistol as of today. Oof. Right, but that's because they were falling in line with literally every other vendor. That's the most Microsoft thing ever. Right, but but no, but the thing was Microsoft did the right thing because interpretation is key. And if every other person who saw that emoji saw a pistol, like an actual gun pistol that we see in the real world, then it should be that because a ray gun is a fun, cute thing the same as a water pistol is. And the interpretation of those two things are very different. Like, me sending a ray gun emoji to you is maybe more fun than me sending a revolver pistol emoji to you, right? So they were trying to kind of do something, but now they've kind of felt like, right, everybody else seems like they've dug their heels in, it's a pistol, we'll change it to a pistol so it looks like everybody else's emoji. Because like even new emoji sets, like Twitter's emoji set, are being created, and they're having pistols, right? There's an argument to be made about uh, Apple being the moral arbiter of our communications. Because if you, if you exclude a gun from emoji, because a gun is an object that sole purpose is to kill or to hurt other human beings, then why do you have a cigarette emoji in the, in the emoji keyboard? Because, you know, uh, <laughs> what do you do with cigarettes? A lot of these emojis, like the cigarette and the gun... They were approved a long time ago. Um, and when, when emoji wasn't a thing like it is now, when it was like you had to get that secret keyboard type thing. And my understanding is now, if something like a gun or a cigarette was brought to the Unico consortium, it would not get through in the way that the rifle didn't get through a few weeks ago. Right? There was a, there was a proposal to have a hunting rifle, which was going to be as part of like the activity section, right? Like you would have a tennis racket, you'd have a hunting rifle because it's considered a sport. But that didn't get through because they didn't want to put another gun or any more guns in the uh in the in the emoji set, in this in the like official emoji set. So that stuff is not getting through now. And like you're right, cigarette is really weird to have in there. But if somebody brought a cigarette to the emoji to the Unico consortium now, it probably wouldn't get through on the grounds that you think it's strange. But I'm just saying, like, who are these companies to decide how people live their lives? Yeah. Because, I mean, if you have a cigarette what, and you also have alcohol emoji because you have the martini glass emoji, um, you know, who's, who's, why are we trusting these companies to decide for us? Alcohol's are a whole other thing because there are going to be more alcohol emojis. I do agree with Apple's stance, right? And I would probably personally do the same. But I do understand the concerns of, okay, so now Apple is deciding to exclude some objects which they don't politically align with, uh, because maybe by hiding them from the emoji keyboard, they're sort of sending a message. And do we want the emoji keyboard to send a message, or do we want it to be a reflection of human life, however messed up and problematic that might be? 
I am really struggling with this one. Yep. Because <laughs> I am very happy that there is no longer a gun emoji. Yes. Like, going forward from today, I am happy. Agreed. But there are two things that I'm unhappy about. I'm unhappy about the idea of retroactive changing of messages and intent from people. And what I also don't like is, because this is an agreed-upon standard, that it's not images, it's, it's interpreted by different platforms. I could send somebody a fun water pistol... But on their Android phone, I've just sent them a gun. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's to me the the biggest problem. I mean, if you want to get rid of the gun emoji, then just hide it, I guess. But replacing it with something that is so different in context is the, the problematic thing. That's a great point because no vendor needs to show the entire emoji keyboard. No, just don't just don't use it and have, you know, have the next version of Unicode include a water gun if you want a water gun. But you're right and there's a, there's a tweet um, it'll be in the show notes is in the chat too from Benjamin Mayer that really s- sums it up really well. Um, and you should you should go see that, but it that to me is the problem here. I, I agree with you. I like Apple's stance on it. Um, but what you have done is you've you instead of doing the right thing in the right way, you've done the right thing in sort of a really bad, sort of clumsy way that's going to lead, could lead to a lot of weird situations if people are doing things cross-platform. If you're all iPhones, great, but not everyone has an iPhone. This is an example of the best and worst of Apple. Yep. like They're doing something that they think is right for people and for humanity, which they tend to be really good at, but they're doing it in a completely like controlling and restrictive way to everybody else it's like everybody outside of the apple ecosystem mm-hmm. will get a worse deal now yeah how what can they do right because they're dealing with unicode uh what are they called code points drop drop the gun but just just don't show it yeah just just take it out yeah but then you're gonna have people complain that on ios you don't have a gun emoji yeah but we don't now anyway well, you have a water gun. But it's not the same. Yeah, but you have something. <laughs> I think Mike's point is that instead of doing something that would only be a little awkward, they've done something that is very inward-looking and is going to lead to a lot of really strange conversations. If they wanted a water gun, they could have just created a zwidge emoji of a wave and a gun, hit the gun, and put the water gun in. So from then on, if you need to use a gun for something and you, you're going to use the water gun, you use that. But on other platforms, people either don't see it, they see a weird gun with a wave, which doesn't make any sense, but like whatever, it doesn't matter. But then it could also force other vendors to actually adopt the water gun. There's no reason that Apple needed to change this because it's like, oh, we shouldn't have guns anymore. They could just remove that emoji. Like it could yeah. just go. But no, like, no, so this is why I struggle with it because I agree that there shouldn't be a pistol. I don't think that that is necessary to be there. But the kind of... This kind of like enforcing is it's really difficult. I'm struggling with it because I feel so strongly in both directions. It's it's making me very confused. I, ju- I just wonder if we're going to have lots more of these discussions because once you open up the Pandora box of unwanted emoji, then you can apply this same idea to a whole other kind of emoji, such as, I don't know, is there a bomb emoji? I'm pretty sure there's yeah, a bomb there is. emoji. Yeah, there is. So what are you going to do? What's the purpose of a bomb? 
Uh, so, you know, are you going to replace a bomb with a huge piñata box? I don't know. Water balloon. Water balloon. Maybe they're just going to switch the entire, uh, you know, gun-themed emoji to water-themed figurines. I don't know. But you can see how, I mean, these objects, in some way or another, they do exist in the real world. And people have pistols, people have knives, and people, unfortunately, they also have bombs. Yeah, we have knives and swords and hammers and pickaxes. So what are you going to do? Change them all to water-themed pistols and bombs and balloons? It's difficult. What, do you have, like, a foam sword? Like, I don't know. This is why, <laughs> This is why. like, this is a tricky thing that they've done to make a statement, but there's maybe better ways they could have made that statement. But on the underlying level, I agree with the statement they made. I'm only I'm only concerned I do I 100% with with their idea but as a company once you make one of these statements then it's always going to be a statement for because you do it once then you got to do it forever because otherwise it just sticks out you have the water gun emoji but you have a bomb emoji that's weird and then you're going to get complaints from people oh why do you have water guns but don't you think bombs are also a problem don't you think knives are also a problem you know knives kill as well and it's just you dip your toe into this discussion, then it's you know the path to drowning it. It's gonna be really short. Let's let's finish on a more maybe even more controversial point. Something else in beta four today is new keyboard sounds. They're awesome. <laughs> so me and Stephen were in alignment on the keyboard sound change previously. You know when they changed it and we didn't like it, and then they changed it back. And you're crazy mm-hmm. now. There were multiple keyboard sounds. Yes. And I like these ones. So, so now you like them. Let me tell you why. What I didn't like last time was it was like change for change's sake. Like there was no need to change the sounds. Like you're just changing the sounds. Like why are you doing that? But now they've changed the sounds and added utility because you can now, vis- you can now hear when you hit the space bar. There is a utility to that. So it sounds different to the other keys. Spacebar and delete have a different sound to the other keys. Nice. It's uh, it's like they added a new dimension for typing on the keyboard, yeah. and there's like different layers of. Yes. Here's what you're doing in a sound effect kind of way. So like that, I'm on board with. Right. It's like change it if you've got a reason to change it. Just like changing it for like oh new sound for no reason after ten years just seemed like a bit strange to me but changing it because now you're giving people like a different use like if you're not looking and you're typing and you think you've hit the space key but you don't hear that sound you know you haven't i like that that's cool for me i'm on board with that yeah so now you're gonna keep your sounds enabled or still no why why do you have to be so serious with your muted keyboard it's not about being serious it's about the the, the only time i ever type on the software keyboard is at night and the reason I do that is because I don't want to make sound on the hardware keyboard because Adina's sleeping. So I don't want to make sound on the on the software keyboard either. Don't you <laughs> type on your iPhone during the day? Yeah. I'm just saying you should add a little more fun to your life. And these bubbles are fun. Maybe I'll turn it back on on my phone. How about that? <laughs> Although, okay. I mean, who knows if I'm going to switch away from Gboard. Oh, my <laughs> Still going with Gboard because it is far superior to Apple's keyboard for me. The the predictions and the autocorrect is is better. I guess when when you don't need to type in two languages, it's fine. The swiping is fantastic. 
and the ability to search for emoji by text. Can't beat it. We'll talk about it again. Let's. Uh, we'll follow up on this in a couple of weeks. Why don't you promise this to me? Give a try to the Apple keyboard and tell me how it goes. I will when I upgrade my phone, whenever that will be. I don't know when that's going to be. Oh, still not on iOS 10? Not on my phone. On my, on my iPad Pro, I am. My, my big iPad Pro, but not on my iPhone. All the time I've been texting you these stickers and, and iMessage stuff, and I, I assume I'm just annoying you on the phone. Nope. I'm on my iPad. I'm at home. Yeah, but when you open the phone, you get all of these weird messages. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I don't care. If you want to find our show for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 102. Thanks again to our lovely sponsors, the great folk over at Pingdom, Ring, and Squarespace. If you want to find us online, Federico is at maxstories.net and he is at Fatici on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Steven is at 512pixels.net and he's at I-S-M-H. And I am at I-Mike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.